just in time for puck drop, tip-off, and October baseball, Sportsnet Now is having a sale on its annual pass. Stream more than 500 NHL games this season, blackout free, including the Stanley Cup playoffs. Plus, stream the 2019 NBA champion Raptors, the MLB postseason, your favorite Sportsnet original shows, and much more. Save 20% until October 15th. Visit snnow.ca for details. Rory, we are back. We're back. It never felt like we left. Well, well it kind of did. It kinda, it's been a it's, while. It's been a little while. <laughs> There's some dog days of summer that have gone by. We thought we'd give the fans a nice little break from our voices, but they're going to have to deal with us every week now for a lot of months because, buddy, the NHL season is two weeks away. I can't believe it. It's crazy. I can't believe it. And there's so many storylines. I mean, we saw last year, right, the St. Louis Blues were last place in the league in January, and they come back and win the Stanley Cup. Literally anybody can win the Stanley Cup. I don't know, except maybe the Ottawa Senators. Except maybe the Ottawa Senators. We will get more into that next week when we do a predictions pod but today to kick things off number one we're going to talk to sean reynolds our man in winnipeg probably the most most stuff going on i guess is the easiest way to put it with the winnipeg jets definitely we are recording this on tuesday afternoon you're probably listening on wednesday so given how up in the air things are in winnipeg maybe some things could change maybe some people put pen to paper maybe some people decide they still want to play hockey between now and then but as it stands right now uh, a lot of uncertainty with the jets we are also in the final segment of this podcast just going to give some thoughts on the upcoming season as i said we're going to get into the nuts and bolts predictions Next week, right before the season uh, hits, but we're, we're just going to talk about some of the things that are on our radar that we're looking for. But we're going to start here today with essentially some some news and notes because there's a lot of them. We've got some RFA signings that continue to trickle in, but we will start with Justin Falk finally getting traded to the team you already mentioned, the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, I'm glad he's not going to Anaheim. I want to see what Andre Kasha can do in Anaheim this year. I've talked about him enough times. But this is a really interesting trade in that St. Louis, I mean, they just won the Stanley Cup. Their defense is great. Not only did they get Falk in this trade, right? They then signed him to a long-term extension worth just under $7 million. And what's interesting about that is you wonder, what does it mean for Alex Petrangelo? He's First got thing a year I thought, left. is this little Petrangelo yes. insurance? Braden Shen is going to be a UFA next year. Second guy I looked at who I thought, probably can't bring back Shen. And then the guy who's I was really looking for, and I spent money on in our fantasy pool, Vince Dunn, because as the season went on, his power play time went up and up. But Falk was the leading power play guy in Carolina. I have to imagine he's going to come in and play a fairly significant role on St. Louis's power play, which is going to negatively impact, I believe, Vince Dunn. But again, Vince Dunn also is going to be coming off his entry-level contract. So there's a lot of potential contract difficulties there for St. Louis to deal with. In 31 Thoughts today, Elliot Friedman suggested... Uh, out of the Board of Governors meeting a couple of weeks ago that the cap could rise as much as $3 million next year, but there's a lot of negotiations that could go on. The players could use an escalator. There's a lot of moving factors in what that number could end up at, but at least that gives them a little bit more wiggle room. I don't know if it's enough wiggle room to sign all of those guys, though. 
have to think Carolina's a little disappointed they didn't end up with a forward uh, like Kasha or even in that mold, yeah. right? I mean, I would think that's probably what they were still hoping to flip Falk for, given the strength I on D. And, and clearly, Carolina just wasn't going to be willing to pay that money on his next contract. Yeah, and so... The trouble with that is because Falk was a UFA and he had some trade protection. So first of all, he had to agree to go to some of these teams. It was reported that St. Louis was not one of those teams, but a condition of that trade is that he signed this extension. So there are a lot of things that had to be figured out for Falk for Carolina to get their max return. Now, they did get Dominic Bach in this trade, who was, uh, I believe, 25th overall pick of the St. Louis Blues two years ago. So not a high Mm -hmm. draft pick, but showed pretty well, put up some good offensive totals in the Swedish league last year. Definitely guy that projects to be second line, maybe third line, but in that middle six somewhere for a team. So if you're talking about them getting a forward, there's some potential for that guy to be uh, somewhat of an impactful forward down the line for the Hurricanes. I think they're really looking at this year and counting on Svechnikov to really explode. I mean, that was a guy who scored at incredible goal rates in the OHL, and he just didn't have enough minutes and everything last year. But there's a natural progression coming there, more ice time, and he's just got a a wicked shot, and he's got a a big body too. So I think that's kind of what they're banking on and why they could live with maybe not getting a forward in this trade. Joel Edmondson, who they did get, is a pretty reliable, you know, middle of the pack defenseman. Not going to wow you with that kind of thing. With the Stanley Cup, also on an expiring contract, so I still wonder if there's an opportunity to flip him for another forward or something else of need before the trade deadline next year. Maybe even before the season. Who knows? We'll see. Just no more fights for Sveshnikov. No more fights, especially with Ovechkin. (laughs) Ill-advised. Don't fight the Russian tank. (laughs) So the latest. RFA to sign as we record this is Braden Point mm-hmm. coming in with the three-year deal at 675. What do you make of that deal? And what's your take on the RFA landscape? What have you learned from the deals we've seen? Well, the Braden Point one, I don't think anybody was expecting to be very contentious. Like most people thought that was going to be the first one off yeah. the board, right? And it took this long. Um, it seemed like he wanted a long-term deal. And if you give him a long-term deal, that cap, it was going to be pretty high because you'd be buying UFA years. You'd be buying years where after the cap is supposed to rise with a new US TV deal with Seattle landing and all that stuff, a new CBA, who knows how that's going to affect everything. Ultimately, they land on a three-year deal. It came down to look at everybody else on that Tampa Bay Lightning team. Steven Stamkos, Nikita Kucherov, Victor Hedman, Andre Palat, all these guys signed bridge deals before they got their longer term commitments. So I think it was a little unreasonable to expect Point to step right into a long term deal. He's a great player and everything like that. But if it's true that he didn't want to explore offer sheets because it's such a good spot for him there, the tax situation's great, the team's great, they've got, they're probably the favorites to win the Stanley Cup again this year. You kind of had to accept the fact that you're going to ha- take fewer years. And this is the second highest AAV on a three-year contract in NHL history behind Pavel Datsuk. So even by the numbers, that's a pretty big win for the player. But at the same time, it's a big win for the team because that cap, it stays 
pretty low for a guy of that kind of value and point. A centerman as well, which we know are more valuable than wingers. So I think both sides come out uh, with a little bit of a win here, knowing that three years from now, after all those factors, after the TV deal, Seattle and everything, I mean, Point is in line to get a huge payday from the Tampa Bay Lightning if he keeps going the way he has been here. Well, the word was that Tampa came up by a million per year on its offer, which my first thought was, We've been talking about Tampa Bay like it's a smart organization. Why did they think they were ever going to get away with paying 0. .575? Well, and it also or, sounds like I, point came down by at least a million okay, to get there. Okay. So, he you came know, down as well. Yeah, but and he also came down in his years. He right. had to accept the reality of just how that team works. Julian Breezeball had a really great quote earlier in the summer about you know, the impact of these other RFAs. Is Marner going to impact, you know, what Braden Point should get or any other RFA? And he said something along the lines of, it doesn't really matter what goes on around the league. It really matters your own team dynamic, how you handle what goes on within your own organization. And that's exactly what ended up happening. None of these other RFAs really impacted what Point got. They traditionally give out bridge deals for reasonable values. And that's exactly what happened with Braden Point. Are you surprised? Did you think in July we would be sitting here two weeks away from the season with so many guys still unsigned or just freshly signed? Did you think it was going to drag like this? I didn't think there would be this many. But after William Nylander last year, I thought somebody was going to, not hold out, but somebody's contract negotiation was going to go into the season. I still think somebody's going to go. And it's interesting that Rantanen and Line are not even in North America right now, right? And and it almost sounds like Rantanen's the. I, I'm going to uh, uh, for sure date us here, but it, yeah, it feels yeah. like it feels like Rantanen's. They're living on different continents. Yeah, literally. Yeah, literally. yeah, exactly. They are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean that's a tough one because. Yeah, he had a monster season. And if he's going to get years, he's going to get a good AV. But you look at the team structure again. Nathan McKinnon is on one of the best value contracts in the league. I think it's reasonable to make the case that Rantanen should come in higher than that because it's a different cap setting and he's different spate in his career and everything like that. But still, how do you make the case that Rantanen deserves $3 million more per season than, than Nathan McKinnon? That's hard to do. So it's going to be really interesting to see where they land, especially after points deal, which is just under seven for three years. I think that's the one that's got to start making these other players realize that maybe they won't get the long-term big money deals. And at the same time, some of these teams, Calgary being one, there's not a lot of cap space to work with already. And if you go into the season and these guys aren't signed, like we saw with William Nylander last year, and he signed just before the deadline on December 1st, his cap it for the rest of that year was over $10 million because as the season goes on and you're not playing games, your cap it for that first year will go up and up and up. So I think the final deadline coming up here of October 2nd, when the puck actually drops and after which those caps start to rise, I think a lot of these guys are going to start to sign before then. I think Kachuk has to be one of those guys. But it is interesting that Liney and Rantanen, it's been kind of quiet. They're, like I said, they're skating in Europe. Those seem to be the ones that might be going into the season if they're not done by October 2nd. Well, you already referenced the new Fantasy League we're both in, uh, along with the yeah. podfather around here, John Grigg. We got invited into the Backyard Oasis yeah. uh, Hockey League. Very exciting. We survived the live auction. Eight and, hours. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, Eight hours. And from what I hear, that's quick. So <laughs> listeners can get ready for some carping about our fantasy teams. And who knows? Maybe even we'll, maybe we'll do some live on-air trades. Uh, we'll throw it into the oh, uh, fake like trades segments <laughs> that you already love so much. 
watch. All right, coming up, we're going to talk to Sean Reynolds next about the uncertainty in Winnipeg. And after Sean, we're just going to give some thoughts on what we're looking forward to. What we're keeping an eye on is the 1920 season rapidly approaches. Coming up on Tape to Tape. Oddshark.net is your source for the latest odds from leading authorities, expert editorial content, and detailed matchup picks. Looking for stats and trends for an upcoming game? Oddshark.net has those too, and it's free. Expert in-depth analysis, stats, and trends to help you make the sharp game day picks, whether you want to get it on the football action, tonight's hockey game, or anything in between. Go to oddshark.net. This is not a gambling site. Joining us now from Winnipeg, it is Sportsnet's Sean Reynolds. Sean, how you doing? I'm great. How are you doing? We're doing all right, and we're really curious about how the Winnipeg Jets are doing. I mean, I know Paul Maurice and Kevin Sheveldayoff are the unflappable type, but we're now more than a week into this training camp. We still have RFA situations hanging over uh, our head. There is the out of the blue, or at least what seemed like out of the blue, Dustin Bufflin absence. Do you get the sense that these guys really still are steady at the rudder or is there a little turmoil in the air in Manitoba? Well, I think that's one of the strengths of this organization. You've seen it over the years. I mean, if you remember all those years of Andrew Kane was in the dressing room and there was clearly, you know, unhappiness behind the scenes and he was asking for trades. Uh, one thing the Jets handle really well and have always handled really well from the general manager to head coach Paul Maurice to the players is they do crisis management really well. And I think the perfect example of that is that there's been such a belief outside the dressing room that there was problems in that dressing room last season. And that's kind of what led to, you know, the Jekyll and Hyde season that the Jets had last season where they started off so well and ended up finishing so poorly just there's this belief from the outside that there's problems within the dressing room and, and it's a tight ship and none of that leaks out. And they're telling us this year that there aren't any of those problems. Those problems don't exist. And right in the middle of all that, you know, Patrick Lyonet comes out and, and voices that he's not happy with his role and wants to be playing with better players. And it's kind of this perfect example of the turmoil that does exist behind the scenes. And yet somehow the, the Jets are able to kind of brush that off, walk right through that. They remind me of, uh, uh, Jean Chrétien back in the day he used to talk about you know in politics uh, when you get cow dung on you you don't wipe it off right away because you smear it all over yourself you just kind of let it leave it let it dry and then dust it off the, the Jets they handle these situations very well they don't overreact when they happen they just kind of steadily walk through it and I do think it's one of the things that gives this team a steely resolve and has allowed them to handle those situations in the past we'll see if it allows them to handle this situation now as they go forward so let's manage this RFA crisis a little bit here with Liney and Connor still unsigned. Braden Point signs three-year deal with Tampa Bay the other day, $6.75 million. Do you think that deal will influence what happens next, maybe speed up what happens with either of these two Jets RFAs? 
Well, it's possible. I'm not sure it will, though, because I think in, in those situations where you're getting those three year deals that are, you know, heavily loaded on the back end, which essentially makes them a four year deal. If that player chooses to go to arbitration at that time, it gives them, you know, a little bit of an edge in that respect. I don't think what you want to see from the Jets is a recurring Jacob Truba situation where he basically was trying to get himself to unrestricted free agency as quickly as possible and arbitrate his way to that day. I, I don't think you want to see that from the Jets or I don't think the Jets want to see that because I don't think they want to see themselves lose these two players at the earliest opportunity that those players can leave. So I, I don't necessarily think that those are deals that the Jets want to make. I think they either want to make very short-term bridge deals that allow a player like Kyle Connor or Patrick Liney to go out for maybe two years and prove what they can do. That's what we saw them do with Jacob Truba. That's what we saw them do with Josh Morrissey. Or they want to do a long-term deal that makes sense to them and that they think they're going to get good value on like they did with Nick Ehlers or like they did with Mark Shifley. I don't necessarily think that's what those two players want. I think, uh, you know, in both cases of both camps, I, I do believe that they feel that they have proven their worth and are worth, you know, a long-term contract at a number they're comfortable with. Um, I just don't see necessarily that the Jets being comfortable with that situation. So I really do think they're kind of in between. Uh, I think that either of those camps potentially would be interested in taking a Braden Point style deal because it gets them to a situation where they're going to get it out into the league and the league will be bidding on their services earlier. I think that would be a nightmare scenario for the Winnipeg Jets, though, uh, should that happen with both those players because they'd be coming up around the time that, you know, the Mark Scheifele's of the world would be coming up. Blake Wheeler's deal would be getting on. So I think they either want these guys locked up long-term or very short-term at a good number before locking them up long-term if those players can prove what they can do in the next couple of years. You mentioned Truba. Obviously, his time with Winnipeg did finally come to an end when he was traded to the Rangers in June. Uh, Tyler Myers and Ben Sherratt then followed him out the door as free agents. So there was questions about this blue line even before uh, Dustin Bufflin started weighing his future. What have you seen from the guys who they're looking to to really play some big roles here? Of course, we're talking Sammy Nuku. Uh, Tucker Pullman, uh, Neil Pionk coming over from the Rangers, uh, and even uh, the youngster Vili Hainola that they drafted from Finland. Well, Sammy Niku was with the team quite a bit last year. Uh, you know, really, really offensive defenseman in the AHL. He scored in his first NHL game. Uh, the second one took quite a while to come. He only had one goal last season while he was playing. Didn't get it until later in the season when the playoff push was on. So his transfer to the NHL has not gone as smoothly as people would think. Um, last year, they were able to give him easier minutes, you know, with a more veteran defense. That won't be the case this year. So he becomes a big test. Uh, I've been impressed with uh, Neil Pionk from what I've seen from him so far. Smaller guy, seems to move the puck really well. Looks like that's going to be a theme for the Winnipeg Jets in the upcoming years because you know, that's what we're seeing from Vili Hainola is how he pronounces ah, it. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Hey, Hainola, yes. Um, uh, he's been very, very impressive. I'm not saying he's going to make the team, but he looks to be a keeper for this team for years to come. And then you get a little bit more size with a player like Tucker Poolman, who, you know, if you talk to people in the Moose organization, they've thought he's been ready for the NHL for a long time now. So I, I, I do think that they've got a number of players who are going to potentially 
potentially surprise and maybe plug holes, but to ask those players to come in and do that on the fly, if the Jets are going to succeed defensively with the group that they have here, it's not one, not two, but you know, three or four new guys who are going to be need to come in and hit in order for this to work. Uh, and I used a line like this in, in an article that I'd wrote today that it, to me, there's just too many questionable links in the chain uh, to expect things to go really, really well defensively for the Jets this season. If we get to the start of the season here and one or both of Connor and Line A aren't in the lineup, I'm wondering who the winners are, who would get a more prominent spot in the lineup. And I'm wondering, is it as easy as a guy like Nick Ehlers, who I think a lot of us definitely me think is, is on track for a big bounce back year here, or is it someone like Mason Appleton, great AHL numbers, a lot of assists, or how about Jack Roslovich, who obviously is craving more of a role on this team and there hasn't been an opportunity for him to consistently move up? Is this the moment where he might be able to, you know, solidify himself in a top six at least while one or two of those guys is out of the lineup? Yeah, I think it's all three of those guys, and I would throw Andrew Kopp in there as well. Andrew Kopp is one of those guys. He's like a true pro, and you know, everywhere you put him in the lineup, he seems to add value, but one thing that he doesn't get a lot of is auditions as an offensive player. He's done well, I've thought, when he's had those situations uh, and has expressed in camp here that he would like more of those opportunities, so he could be a big winner in this. Nick Ehlers, I think, would is, stands to have the most to gain. Uh, he spent some time on that top line with uh, uh, Blake Wheeler and Mark Scheifele last season and did really well. A lot of the numbers suggest that he may have been a better fit uh, in that role uh, than Kyle Connor was, so this is an opportunity should those two players not be here for him to get into that spot and prove he can stay in that spot uh, Mason Appleton they really liked him last season so I would expect you know maybe not necessarily right out of camp but you think he's going to get some opportunities in this lineup this season to try and be a full-time NHL and, and Jack Roswick maybe more than anyone has the most to gain here's a guy you know he's been frustrated with his role in the past he's been relegated to the fourth line because you know with all the talent that the Jets have in the top six there's just no room for a guy like that Nick Ehlers was injured at one point last season and Roswick moved up into that spot on the second line and he walked away after that brief audition with the first star of the week in the NHL honors so he's got game he just needs a chance to show it and he'll get that chance to show it if things continue the way they are with both uh, Patrick Liney and Kyle Connor. You reference this you wrote for sportsnet.ca five reasons to still be optimistic about the Jets and then you countered that with five reasons to maybe worry a bit where do you actually come down on with this team? Do you look at it and say uh, you still think things can really break their way or do you think the, uh, the anxiety outweighs the optimism at this point? Yeah, I would be a little more dour on them. They lost, you know, simply too much talent on the back end, I think, to overcome this. And you know what? Had the Jets been firing on all cylinders last season and been a team that, you know, everything was cohesive and everything was working really well, I would think, you know, potentially I'd be a little more willing to bet on a team that had lost so many you know, veteran players and yet were, you know, had a chance of replacing them and, and bringing them in and, you know, all guys firing on all cylinders and them finding a way through this. To me, the big wild card in this is the Jets 
were lost at the end of last season. They lost their game. They couldn't figure it back out. You know, thus we get all the rumors about, you know, there are problems in the dressing room and people are trying to find an explanation for what went wrong. And the one thing that I would say is listening to the management, listening to the coaching staff, listening to the players, the message that they had was, you know, nothing to see here. Everything was fine. You know, I do believe that Blake Wheeler said, you know, in game five of their series against uh, the Blues, they go into the third period with the lead and they blow that lead and end up losing that game and lose the series in the next game. And I do believe he'd said, you know, we we're one period away from winning the Stanley Cup last season. And I, I personally think that that's just an absolutely improper way to look at it. You know, they had every opportunity to come in in game six and game seven and and turn it on the same way the blues did against Dallas in the next round. You know, that's how winners respond. The jets didn't have that. They were blowing leads down the stretch. They couldn't figure things out. They went into the playoffs and put their best foot forward. And because they were a really good team, were able to give the blues a little bit of a run for their money. But I walk away from that series and think there was no question. The blues were the better team in that series. I don't think they would have beat Dallas going into, the next round either so the biggest question for me is whether or not they've identified the problems that they were having and figured it out and can put that together I think that would be a tall task as it is I think it becomes even taller a task when you lose the veterans that you've lost and now have to bring in a number of young players and hope that they all hit in order for you to return to being a Stanley Cup contender. Dallas was closer to beating St. Louis yeah. last year than Winnipeg was. Yeah, like, yeah, they honestly. were. And and honestly, Dallas owned the Jets during the regular season last season. And I think they would have continued to do so in the playoffs as well. So the idea within the Jets that they believed that they were that close, you know, and they lost to the eventual Stanley Cup winner and it would have been them had it not been the Blues. It's just, I don't subscribe to that belief. Well, we still got a couple weeks here before things fully shake out, but I, yeah, I'm not sure there's a more intriguing team to watch as the season gets uh, closer and closer than the Winnipeg Jets. Sean, thanks so much for breaking it all down today. Anytime, guys. Thanks to Sean Reynolds for joining us. Just so you know, T2T fans, have an eye this year. We're going to make sure to talk to a lot of the Sportsnet talent out there across Canada from the different NHL cities. We're going to be bringing them in to take deep dives on not just the teams they cover, but also what's going on league-wide. Speaking of league-wide, as I said, Rory, we've got our predictions coming next week, and I'm sure we'll we'll hover on the seven Canadian teams a lot. Then we're gonna, you know, obviously talk a lot about our specific expectations and and some trophies as well. I would assume, but let's just throw a few things out there right now. You're keeping an eye on what's got your attention heading into this campaign. I really want to see how Ralph Kruger does coming back to the NHL as a head coach this time with the Buffalo Sabres. Cause I, I thought he was the one that the Edmonton Oilers let get away. Cause they were so giddy to get to Dallas Aikens. Right. And that one obviously did another guy out. to keep an eye on this year, but yeah, uh, for sure <laughs> yeah, absolutely. in his second chance, but um, yes, but in Edmonton under Kruger, that was the best season we saw from a guy <laughs> that we is not in the NHL anymore. Niall Yakupov. And when you hear guys talk about Kruger and you hear him talk, he's, a very good motivational guy. He really pushes his players and usually gets good returns from them. 
And now this is a Buffalo team where outside of Jack Eichel and maybe Sam Reinhart, but he's only had the one really good season so far. You know, what is there? Are they actually making some progress? We said many times over the years, way back when the Leafs drafted Austin Matthews, Buffalo and Toronto were kind of seen seem to be on the same rebuild path. And Toronto has skyrocketed. Buffalo's stayed in neutral. You're going to see another step forward, you'd think, from a guy like uh, Rasmus Dahlin. Are they going to trade? Are they going to keep Rasmus Ristolainen? Do they have the goaltending? How much is the coach going to be able to bring all these guys up? Um, he stepped away from hockey altogether for a while, um, going over to the English Premiership in, in England. But he has had some exposure to the best coaches in the game, working with Team Canada. Great relationship with the Ken Hitchcocks, Mike Babcocks of the world. So he stayed in touch with the game. And there was a really interesting story he told the day he got hired in Buffalo when he was thinking about taking that job. You know, he's not a guy that a lot of hockey fans, I think, are going to know just to see him, especially after being away for so long. So he went to Buffalo undercover talking to fans in the city. But what do you think of this team? And he said he got some really good insight from doing that. Uh, Probably some profanity laced insight. Sure, I'm depending sure. Depending on what time of night and where he was. Yeah. So he just seems like a really smart guy. And I want to see if he's the one that can kind of get this Sabres team going. And if he can, then man, you're going to be looking at this guy as a really underappreciated coach. And, and maybe he's in the running for the Jack Adams. I think Buffalo's got to get to the playoffs, which is a long shot to do that. But any kind of progress for that team right now is, is really big for them. Well, let's stay in New York State. Uh, the Rangers, definitely some intrigue there. And really the greater New York area with the moves the Devils have made. But the Rangers, I mean, you add Cabo Caco. Yes. Jacob Truba. And Artemi Panarin to your lineup um, without, I mean, no shade at Neil Pionk, who Sean told us looks good at camp and by all accounts looks like he could be a good crafty defenseman. But basically without subtracting anything of real significance, the Rangers put those three guys in the lineup. That's going to be worth watching. Yeah, and you get a first round pick from a couple years ago, Vitaly Kravtsov coming over. He should be electric. Adam Fox Fox. making the graduation from NCAA hockey and getting traded there from Carolina. Like there's just a lot of really young talent. And it wasn't that long ago that the Rangers sent out that letter to their fans, kind of bracing them for a rebuild a year before last. And happened very quickly. They've got a a number of first-round picks over the last few years. They've still got picks in their arsenal to work with, whether they use them uh, to actually add players or maybe they trade them around the deadline if they feel they're in a a really good position. And behind all that, you still have Henrik Lundqvist, who's in his late 30s. And, you know, now we're starting to see the end of his career is on the horizon. But he's made it clear that he wants to remain with that team, see this rebuild through. His, His dream, he said, in Chicago at the Player Media Tour was to win a Stanley Cup here in New York. So he's not going to be going anywhere. He could really be what uh, stabilizes that team. He needs to have a bit of a rebound, but there's just a lot of exciting talent right there on that team mixed in with some of the veterans that they've kept, Chris Kreider to name one of them. And that, I think that mixture of of talent, of experience, they've got a pretty good blue line, it looks like now, and the goalie back uh, behind it all. That division is potentially one where some of these teams can slide up. The NHL being a speed league that it is right now, the Rangers could really surprise everybody this year. Well, a team that is way overrepresented on this podcast that also has trouble (laughs) reaching its potential. Uh, Florida Panthers also something, also a club I think a lot of people have circled as a potential riser, largely because of Bobrovsky, but same thing, some parts there. 
in this case, that have been there for a while that it just feels like could really coalesce yes. quickly. Yeah. Now they don't have the advantage of being in an up for grabs division. No. They are in that position where they're going to have to fight for everything they get in the Atlantic. Yeah, it makes it easier if five teams from the Atlantic can get in. But again, the, the Metro's not going anywhere, right? But they finally have goaltending. Florida had the second worst save percentage in the league last year ahead of only San Jose. It just wasn't working. So if Bobrovsky comes in and does what he's done, um, is in that upper echelon of netminders, that's going to stabilize so much. I think Florida was a playoff team last year if they got even league average goaltending. So right away, Bobrovsky's probably going to give you something better than that. They added a guy like Anton Strallman, who's just going to be a defensive guy, steady the PK, you know, be good and responsible on his own end. Um, you need to have continued great years from Barkov and Huberto, who took huge steps. I'm, I'm really interested to see out of camp if Owen Tippett makes the team, what kind of impact he has. They've got a lot of young guys still making up. Sarah Noel, um, when I talked to Joel Quenville shortly after he got hired, I was asking him about the young guys, Denisenko and, and Tippett. I didn't ask him about Noel, but that's a name that he brought up. He's a big, big guy uh, who's put up some pretty good offensive numbers in the OHL. Now, how that translates to the, to the NHL, you know, being a big body, playing against junior players versus NHL players is an entirely different task. But they have a number of young guys that are still working their way into this lineup that should be impactful players at some point. How quickly can they move their way up the lineup? What kind of looks do they get? What kind of minutes do they get? How are they going to be used? And again, going back to a coach and how he's going to influence how a team comes up. I mean, Quenville has had enormous success everywhere he's gone. So I don't think you can underrate, undervalue what kind of push he'll be able to give that team. I know all the players are really, really excited to get playing for him. But being a guy who's followed the Panthers all these years, there have been years where you've seen potential coming and it never really comes to fruition. Just there seems so much talent this year that it feels a little bit different this time. We didn't really get into it with Reynolds, but part of the problem, and he did mention this in his piece that explained why Winnipeg fans maybe should be a little worried, the Central Division is it's stacked. Rough. Yes. Yes. Like who's the worst team in that? Is it the Minnesota Wild? I wouldn't who are always, I wouldn't fault you for picking them. Yeah. yeah. But it's there's still, players yeah, still on that yeah, team, past right? The minimum competency test, right? Yeah. Like Devin Dubnik, I don't think is a goalie that's gonna sink your season. That's right. Matt Dumbo was the league's leading goal scorer from the blue line when he went down with an injury in December. You get him back, you still have Suter, you still have Parise, still like they have players. So even if they're the worst team in that division, they're probably still gonna be pretty decent. Still a tough out on most nights. Yeah. I mean Chicago seems to be making some strides. They added Robin Lehner. Um so that tandem with him and Corey Crawford could be really good. Holy Mata, Calvin DeHaan, you got some depth defensemen back there, which was a bit of an issue for the team last year. But if Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze, Alex Nylander might get a look on that top line this year. If they find something there that wasn't there before, then that's going to be a huge find. Debrincat, Strom, is that connection going to keep going with them? There are legitimate questions about a team like Winnipeg that have huge holes in their lineup right now that they didn't have before. Nashville slowed down at the end of the season. Like both of those teams backed into the playoffs and, and it showed right away. St. Louis, uh, I mean, they're the Stanley Cup champions, so you got to assume that they're just going to keep going. But even that team 
goaltenders are so hard to predict the future for, and Jordan Bennington kind of came out of nowhere with how impactful he was for that team last year. Is that going to continue, or what is he going to actually settle at as an NHL goaltender? I think that's a legitimate question to ask about them. I think, honestly, the only sure thing from that division right now feels to be the Colorado Avalanche are a team on the rise, and there's absolutely no stopping them. Set up so well, I think even if they start without Miko Rantanen, not the best case scenario, but there's a lot of other forwards in defense. I think adding Nazem Kadri to that second line is going to be a huge upgrade over Alex Kerfoot and is going to add a little bit more scoring punch, a better presence on the power play. I think they are a lock to finish in the top two, probably in that division. I would feel pretty confident, but I think it's, it's all but a lock that you're going to have five playoff teams come out of that division and set up a real slugfest in the Pacific. Last one I'll mention, sticking in the West, the Arizona Coyotes made a real valiant push to try and squeeze into the playoffs, largely led by some great play from Darcy Kemper in the back half. They were just decimated by injuries. And and specifically, there's some guys, some young guys that uh, I'll be really curious to see if, you know, if they can go out and play a full 82, exactly what Arizona gets from, you know, 20, 21 year olds like Christian Dvorak and Jacob Chikrin, you know, they just, uh, Nick Schmaltz who came over from Chicago and looked great and then went down after 15 games. Clayton Keller, you know, led this team with, I think, 47 points last year and obviously signed a a big extension already. I mean, they clearly expect big things from him and I think people believe he can live up to that. So uh, they're certainly a team I have circled as with a little luck. Can they take a leap in the West's division that would seem to be a little more up for grabs, certainly than the central. Yeah, really good defensive team last year. I think their goals have got to come up, which is where Phil Kessel kind of comes Mm. into the equation. I didn't even mention uh, Philly. Can he give a boost? Like, we know he can score goals, but I think he's at the same time a little bit of an underrated passer. So maybe he can play off Clayton Keller a little bit better and all all their totals can kind of rise. But if you have that good defensive base, which Arizona seems to have, that's a great place to be starting from. So if they can just bring up the goals, you know, whether it's Darcy Camper or Antiranta, who himself was fantastic at the start of the season before he got injured, you are really ahead of the game, I think. You can rely on one of those guys to be putting up strong numbers behind this defense. It's just about bumping up those goals. And I'm really interested to see if it can happen. I think Kessel is the guy that can really kickstart that. But I mean, you hit it on the head with Schmaltz too. Like there are other guys, Vinny Hinestroza too, guys who you can see some more offense coming. It just hasn't happened yet, but it seems like all of this could potentially click for them this year. And I wouldn't be shocked to see them be a playoff team. But again, if it's three teams that make it in the Pacific because the Central is so stacked, it becomes so tough at that point. And I honestly don't, we're doing our predictions next week. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I have to think this a little bit more through, but they're definitely at least a bubble team. You have time. You yes. have some days. Yeah. Do you already feel like you're in mid-season form? Yeah. Huh? Actually, no, I don't. I, I'm, I'm lying to myself. No, we're getting going here. How do you feel? Not too bad, man. Ready to go. That's for sure. I'm excited to uh, to see some real games soon and, and see how these contract standoff shake out and yeah. let's see if there's a few more trades still maybe bef- between uh now and uh puck drop there's still plenty of intrigue before we get to the real games i can't wait until next wednesday yeah, sit down turn on the tv 
puck drop. I think it's four games around that night, three or four games, and just actually watch real NHL hockey and none of these AHL lineups that are being thrown out for some of these preseason games. Absolutely. Hard to get a gauge on the players in, in that kind of environment. It's true. Well, that is your first episode of Tape to Tape for this season. You can always follow Rory on Twitter, at Rory Boylan, myself, at Dixon on Sports. Thanks again to Sean Reynolds for joining us. And check back next week for our predictions, extravaganza, and glass rattling hockey action on Tape to Tape.